I will be reading from Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Would you please stand as we read from the word? Do not lay upon yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I, yet, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after the, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You may be seated. Well, this week was a fresh reminder that we don't control things. Uh, we... We make plans and plans change. Uh, as you know, of course, uh, Wes was planning on being here, planning on preaching, but uh, God had other plans. And so last minute, Wes asked if I could fill in. And he was gracious enough, though, to leave me his sermon notes that I can preach. I'm just kidding. I don't know if you would laugh or not. No, he didn't leave me. Notes. These are mine. So uh, he did not leave anything for me, in fact. Um, but here we are. So um, Wes, I assume you're watching. We love you, we miss you, and we're certainly praying for you. And so we are going to make a change, and I'll be sharing from the Word this morning, which I'm happy to do. And we are in, as uh, Brady read for us, the book of Matthew chapter 6. And I want to begin our time this morning with some communal honesty and openness, and ask uh, by show of hands, uh, who in here would say that you are the sort of person that is very good at staying focused on one thing for a long time? You are locked in and you can do that. Anybody? Engineers, thank you. Anybody? Math people, numbers, okay, great. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and assume that the, the rest of you would say, I am not good at focusing on one thing. I'm all over the place. Okay, that's what I figured. 
uh, I was beginning my study this week, and I came across an interesting um, research study that came out a few years ago. And it found that in the year 2000, the average attention span for a human around the world was 12 seconds. Okay? You know, oh, that's just pretty bad. It gets worse. By 2015, that average had dropped to 8.25 seconds. So the average attention span, 8.25 seconds. And if you think that's bad, it is. Because we are actually beat with a time of 9 seconds by a goldfish. So on average, a goldfish has a longer attention span than a human. Now, for whatever the reason is, we could, we could talk about the influence of media and all those things. Whatever the reason is, it seems that all of us struggle to pay attention to one specific thing for a long period of time. We may have short bursts where we're focused, we're tracked, we're locked in, but then we're just all over the place. And shortening attention spans, this phenomenon of, of decreasing time that we can pay attention, it's not just a problem for advertisers who are trying to gather our attention. It's not just a problem for public speakers or preachers who think that we can keep your attention for 35 minutes. Uh, it's actually a problem for us as followers of Jesus. And the reason for that is here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us in verse 33 that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He gives us this singular task of what we are supposed to do, what we're supposed to be about. And the implication then is that all of our beings should be devoted to this. Every second, every hour, every day should be about this task that Jesus has left us with. And yet, how often are we distracted? How often do we think, well, I'm, I'm about the kingdom, and then, man, something comes by. Oh, I've got to get the kids. I've got it's time to go to work. I've got this. The sink is leaking. It's just chaos, and we're distracted. In our vacation Bible school this week, our kids are learning about kingdom seekers. What does it mean to be a seeker of the kingdom? And as I thought about that verse, and we had planned to share from this passage um, to sort of gather all of us in on this idea, I began to wonder, even for my own life, how many of us would say that we are fully devoted kingdom seekers? How many of us would say that we are part-time kingdom seekers, intermittent kingdom seekers? What I want to do this morning is a little bit different than what we would normally do, taking a, th a chunk of Scripture and verse by verse. What I want to do is to zoom out a little bit from Matthew 6.33, look at the larger context here, and provide three general observations, three characteristics of someone who seeks the kingdom. Because I think that's what Jesus is actually doing here is he's really giving us a contrast. He's describing two types of people. There are those who seek the kingdom, and there are those who don't. And those people actually look different. Their lives look different. Their attitudes look different. Uh, what they are concerned with looks different. And so Jesus, when he gets to verse 33 and says, but you seek the kingdom, the implication is, unlike what I've just said, these people, you seek the kingdom. You be about something different. And what I want us to see today in the text is our main idea that a kingdom seeker values the eternal over the temporary, righteousness over sin, and trust over worry. A kingdom seeker, notice the contrasts here, uh, values the eternal over the temporary, righteousness over sin, and trust over worry. And Adam, if you would leave that up for a second, I know that's kind of wordy. That's our main idea. I want us to see that in the text. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for us and ask the Lord to honor our time and bless it in the Word. 
Our Father in heaven, we are certainly grateful for the opportunity to gather here this morning, uh, the privilege that we have of owning copies of your word, uh, freely gathering to study, to hear it preached. Help us to take advantage of the opportunity. Help us to listen, to learn, to receive, uh, not just from me and my sermon, but receive from you by your spirit from your word. Teach us, shape us, mold us to be more like Jesus, and help us to be better seekers of the kingdom of God. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. But to begin, I want us to see, first of all, that a kingdom seeker values the eternal over the temporary. Look again, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the what? The kingdom of God. What exactly is the kingdom of God? There are any number of things that we might say, any number of descriptions we might provide, but I like to think about it simply as the kingdom meaning God's rule, His sovereign reign over all of creation. Everything in heaven and on earth, from the smallest particles to the biggest galaxies, God rules and He reigns over it. It is His kingdom. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. God reigns over all of creation and even in our hearts as followers of Jesus. He is ruling in our hearts. He is reigning over us. We are his children and his people. And if you're a history buff and you follow history books and things, you'll know that every kingdom on earth that has ever been around has ended. They come and they go. Some last longer than others. Some conquer more land than others. But every kingdom comes. Every kingdom goes. They rise. They fall. They're conquered. And they go on into history. It never, uh, it, it, it is, unend- it is um, with an end. But unlike every other kingdom throughout the history of the world, God's kingdom is eternal. It will never end. Uh, Martin Luther's great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, the last half of the last verse says, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. What's the last line? His kingdom is forever. To seek God's kingdom is to devote ourselves to that which is eternal. It is to turn from all the things that just sort of come and go in life and say, I'm going to be about something that will stand forever. I'm going to be about something that will last forever. It's to turn away from building my own little temporary kingdom and say, I'm going to yield to the eternal kingdom. I'm going to join in the work that God is doing in his kingdom. In other words, it is to be about what God is about. What does it mean to seek the kingdom? It's, it's I'm about what God is about. I'm going to seek what he is doing. When I graduated from college and I moved to Thibodeau to do college ministry at, the, at Nichols, I had a mentor there, Tim LaFleur. Some of you may know him. And Brother Tim would always say to me, he would say, three things are eternal. God, his word, and the souls of men. Give yourself to these things. That has stuck with me some 10 years now. Hannah's picked up on it. I hear her telling other people. And it's such a great reminder because in all the things that we could devote ourselves to, jobs and and even families and even good things, um, money and influence and all these things that may be good, those things are all going to pass away. And Brother Tim was right when he said only three things are eternal, God, his word, and the souls of men. So give yourself to those things. Devote yourself to that which lasts. Now, in contrast, 
to a person like that, a kingdom seeker who values the eternal, Jesus says there's this other person, there's this other way of living. It's someone who values only temporary things. And in fact, Jesus warns against that. Look back at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Devoting ourselves to the kingdom of God means seeking what is eternal. But devoting ourselves to our own kingdom, seeking only things that are temporary, treasures and riches and wealth and all those things, is to devote ourselves to things that won't last. The, the thought that keeps coming to my mind as I think about this is if you're, if you're an adult and you have jobs and money and things like that, I think you'll resonate with this. Hannah and I laugh because there are some months where maybe we did a side hustle, whatever, and there's a little bit of extra money comes through, and we're like, oh, we have extra money. What should we do with this? What should we buy? But we have learned nothing. Don't buy anything. Stick it in the bank, because if we've got some extra money that God has given us, what can I guarantee is going to happen in the next couple weeks? Something's going to break. Something, a new expense comes up. I mean, I used to really bother me, but now I've kind of gotten used to it, because I know God provides exactly what we need. Uh, but it's, it's this reminder, every time that happens, I'm just like, well, money comes and goes. Yeah, car broke down, well, car comes and goes. Those things that we so often devote ourselves to try to get and hold on to, they just don't last. No matter how good it is, how great the car is, how big the house is, they just don't last. Things come and go. All of our greatest possessions will come and go. And Jesus says, only the treasure that we store in heaven is going to last. All the things that we might pile up here on earth, the whole joke is you, can't, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse, you can't take it with you, those things aren't going to last. It's only what we store in heaven. You may have heard this quote, uh, part of a poem from C.T. Studd. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Each of us, life is going to end. It's going to end sooner or later. And only what we do for Jesus is going to last. And I want to address particularly the young people, kids, youth, younger folk, but even adults, our culture radically disagrees with this approach of seeking the kingdom because our culture says, build your own kingdom. Our culture says, live it up, get as much stuff as you can because that's how you measure significance in this world. That's how you measure how good a life you have. Do you want meaning? Do you want significance? Do you want success? Oh, well, then you need possessions. You need power. You need prestige. You need, the new one Friday is influence. Be an influencer. But we're building, if we give ourselves to those things, we're building a kingdom that won't last. And more than that, we're building a kingdom that can't save us. We are like, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool, or sometimes it's called the parable of the storehouses. Remember the guy? He had so much stuff that his storehouses were just overflowing. So he says, you know what? I'm going to tear them all down. I'm going to build new, bigger ones to put even more of my stuff in. And Jesus says the man is a fool because he doesn't know that tonight he's going to die and everything that he has at that point will be worthless. Instead of seeking to build our own kingdom, Jesus says seek the kingdom of God. Turn from all the building and accruing of your own small kingdom and rather devote yourself to something that's eternal. Give yourself to something that's going to last. Seeking the kingdom means 
working to see God increasingly rule in my life every day. Rather than running the rat race at work, I'm working every day to see that Jesus reigns more in my heart. Instead of giving myself to say, I'm going to get as much money as I can, it's I'm going to fill my heart with Scripture as much as I can. It's a radical difference here. Seeking the kingdom means I'm about what is eternal. I'm about what God is about. I'm about the things that will last, not just the things that will come and go. And my question for us is sort of hypothetical. Let's say someone came to you and said, hey, we want to film you documentary style for a few weeks. We're doing a reality show. It'd be great. And they follow you around. They follow me around. They film us for a few weeks. They edit it all together. They show it on TV and an audience watches. When they watch the video of our life, whose kingdom would they say we are seeking? When they watch the video of our lives, would, say, would they say, wow, that person, man, he is all about this world. He is all about just getting stuff. Or would they say, wow, that's somebody who, man, he's not even about all this stuff. He's about something different. Would they look at our lives watching the footage and say, man, that guy, the thing he loves most is Jesus. Or would they say, well, he sure seems to love stuff. Jesus makes this contrast here in chapter 6 of these two types of people. You seek the kingdom of God or you seek all your other stuff. You seek stuff that matters for now, but then it's gone. I mean, it it matters until the new model comes out. The influencer has influence until the younger, better-looking one comes along. Or do we give ourselves to the kingdom, something that will last and be eternal? When you stand before God one day, will all of your treasure be left behind here? Or will your treasure be waiting for you in heaven? Will you leave behind a giant sum of money to your offspring? Uh, Just by way of acknowledgement, if you want to leave money behind, I'm glad to receive it. Uh, But will you leave behind only money? Or will you leave behind a legacy of godliness? A legacy of prayer, of faith, and obedience. A legacy of disciple-making. A legacy of compassion for the hurting and the lost and, and the wounded and the, and the poor. Will you leave a legacy of prayer? Or will you leave a legacy of, if it came out of a store, he had it. If it was popular, he got two. What kind of legacy will we leave? It depends on whose kingdom we seek. Eternal, or do we seek our own? A kingdom seeker values the eternal over the temporary. But secondly, what I want us to see is that a kingdom seeker values righteousness over sin. Look again, verse 33. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is characterized by God's own righteousness. As as the king, the kingdom reflects him. He is perfect, he is pure, he is holy, he is just, and his kingdom reflects that. And to seek the righteousness, to seek the kingdom of God, is to seek the righteousness of God who rules over the kingdom. Now, how then do we get that righteousness? We're seeking it, how do we get it? Well, we have to acknowledge, first of all, of course, that we could certainly never earn it. You can't buy it, you can't uh, get it on your own. We know Scripture is very clear that we have no righteousness of our own. We have no merit of our own. But thankfully, God provides for us his own righteousness in the person of Jesus. Paul teaches in Romans that the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law, though the law testifies to it. 
And it's a righteousness by faith in the Son of God who Paul says actually fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Paul says, look, you couldn't keep the law. You couldn't be righteous. One came along who did, and now Paul says, we get that righteousness credited to us. Not by keeping the law, but by faith in the Lord Jesus. In the gospel, we recognize that we have no righteousness of our own. So we put our faith in Jesus and we receive his righteousness. It's credited to our account. Our sins are forgiven. We're reconciled to God and we're saved. That the righteousness of the kingdom, the righteousness of the king is now credited to us. But what about after we're saved? How do we as a believer, day in and day out, seek the righteousness of God's kingdom? I think what Jesus is referring to here is the ongoing obedience that we should have to his commands. In other words, that his kingdom, as it's reflected in his people, should reflect the righteousness of himself. And we do that by honoring his commands, by keeping his commands, by living righteously in all of our actions. As we submit to the rule of God in our lives, we naturally, at least we should naturally, submit to his commands. Uh, to reject his commands is actually to reject his rule. That's why John, uh, Jesus in John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will what? Well, keep my commandments. Yeah. First John chapter 1, John actually now says, if we say that we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus was clear. John certainly clear, learning from Jesus, that those who are now in the kingdom, those who have received the righteousness of Christ credited to us, now ought to live righteously. We ought to seek to be righteous in all of our dealings. How do we do that? By obeying his commands. He's laid them out for us, said this is how you are to live. We follow in obedience to be righteous in our dealings. Uh, many of you will know um, Hannah's dad, Pat Weaver, and uh, she tells me this story. I've heard it many times. It gets funnier every time. That at one point when she was a kid, Hannah told her dad, uh, I love you. And Pat's response was, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And, you know, we laugh at that, but isn't it so true, parents? I mean, you think, like, look, if you really love me, child, keep my commandments. Jesus put together love and obedience. It's like, hey, I really love you, but I'm not going to do anything you say. We'd look at that and we say, no, 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 something's gone wrong. Or, in fact, how do I know someone loves? Well, they obey my commands. The, the two go together. Love and obedience, they go together. Being a citizen of the kingdom of God means that we ought to look like the king we follow. We ought to obey him. We ought to seek to emulate him in our lives. But I wonder for us, and certainly myself included, how often do we, even as followers of Jesus, as believers, how often do we separate things like salvation from sanctification? We say, sure, I'm saved, Jesus saved me, but you know, changing my life, eh, not so much. How often do we separate knowing Jesus from following Jesus? Yeah, I'm all about knowing Jesus, I know who he is, but still going to follow me and do my own thing. How often do we separate acknowledging God's authority from yielding to God's authority? How often do we separate knowledge of his commands from obedience to his commands? You don't get credit for knowing the commands. 
all about following him. It's about obedience. Imagine parents, you know, if your child, you know, disobeys and you say, well, I know exactly what you told me to do. I just didn't do it. I'd say, well, you don't get half credit for knowing. You get full credit for obeying, right? But we sometimes, we are so quick to separate knowledge from obedience, from acknowledging his authority to, from yielding to his authority. And if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we must obey God's commands. Let me put it another way. When we disobey God's commands, it is actually evidence that we are not seeking God's kingdom, but our own. Because we're saying, look, I'm not about what you want me to do. I'm about what I want to do. Now, I think all of us who are followers of Jesus would probably say, well, I would never say that. But we are saying that when we walk in disobedience. When we don't obey the Lord's commands, we're essentially saying, I'd rather my own commands. I'd rather be in charge. I'd rather do my own thing. But I think the truth is that God either rules over all of our life or none of our life, wouldn't you say? We don't surrender 95% of our life to Jesus and hold on to 5%. No, we yield all of it to him. As we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, we want to be known as people who follow in obedience 100% of the time. Those who follow in obedience and live righteously. A kingdom seeker values righteousness over sin. Now, the decision to follow Jesus, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, you know it changes everything about who we are. It changes the way we think, the way we speak, the way we live, all those things. But one thing it doesn't change is that we still have regular lives with regular needs, regular concerns, regular problems, regular issues, regular responsibilities, all the things we had before. What's different is that in the kingdom, our priorities change. The problems don't change, but our priorities change from this world, all about that, to the next, I'm all about that. No longer are we just living to, to seek after all the things of the world. Now we're actually seeking the kingdom. But as we seek the kingdom, what Jesus shows us here is that as believers, we ought to trust him, trust God to provide what we need along the way. And so thirdly this morning, I want us to see a kingdom seeker values trust over worry. Values trust over worry. Look again, verse 33. He's made this whole contrast. There's a certain way to live, but you, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking first the kingdom doesn't mean that suddenly we have no need for earthly things. Uh, seeking the kingdom doesn't mean I'm not hungry anymore, or I don't need clothes anymore, or I don't need a house anymore. No, we still have those concerns. We still have those needs. And seeking the kingdom doesn't mean that I shouldn't devote some time to getting those things, like a.k.a. a job. Okay? But it does mean then that earthly possessions, those things that I need, even the important ones like food, are not my main priority. It's not my ultimate goal in life to get more of those things. Yes, I need them. Yes, they're important. But that's not what I'm about as a kingdom seeker. When we seek first the kingdom, we no longer devote ourselves to storing up treasures on earth. Matthew 6, 19, we saw that. That's not good. We use what we need. We give what we can. And what we need, God will provide. Did you notice that when Brady was reading the text for us, we get to chapter 6, verse 33, and it's seek first the kingdom. And we're like, yeah, that's a great verse. You know, it's a VBS theme. It's, it's my life verse. But did you notice the context of that verse? 
and the topic that Jesus is teaching on? It's anxiety. It's worry. This great verse that we want to sort of pull out there actually is in the context of what do we deal with uh, as we think about worry and anxiety. Look at Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus says, this is leading up to our, our main verse, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Obvious answer, of course. And in contrast to one who seeks the kingdom, because in verse 33 he's going to say, but you seek the kingdom. In contrast to that is somebody whose life consists of worry and anxiety over getting all their daily needs. Jesus says, look, there's two ways. You seek the kingdom, or you can be like all these other people who are just sort of running around saying, where am I going to get my stuff? I don't know if I'm going to have my meal today. How do I get more? Things like that. And in fact, if you look in verse 32, Jesus teaches that those people who live that way, who does he describe them as? They're like Gentiles. Now, you may be thinking, what in the world's a Gentile? We would say unbeliever. Jesus is saying, The people who run around concerned about where they're going to get their stuff are actually living like unbelievers. And it makes sense because we would say, well, they they don't know God. They don't have his provision. They don't know that he's going to provide. And so they run around in worry and anxiety. But he says one verse later, verse 33, but you ought to be different. He says, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does he say? All these things will be added to you. What are the these things? It's the things that the Gentiles are running around worrying about. Food and clothing and shelter and all the things that you're going to need, Jesus says they will be added to you. And did you notice he doesn't say you will add them? He says they will be added to you. You seek the kingdom. You be about what I call you to and let me worry about providing that other stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. Seeking first the kingdom doesn't mean, as I've said, it doesn't mean that we no longer have daily concerns or needs, all right? We don't want to be the person who's so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. You just sort of sit there on a rock all day and just ponder heaven and you don't do anything. We don't want to be that person. So it's not a question of whether we seek the kingdom or go to work. Your boss calls, hey, where are you? Sorry, I'm seeking the kingdom today. I can't come in. No, it's seek the kingdom and go to work. Why? Well, God gave you that job to provide your needs, right? So it's not a matter of, do I seek the kingdom or do I make sure I have food tomorrow? No, Jesus is not separating those. But what he's doing is showing us there's this contrast of how we think about those things, how we think about what am I going to devote myself to and what am I going to worry about? Am I going to devote myself to making sure I get all my stuff or am I going to be about the kingdom and trust the king of the kingdom to provide what I need? And of course, if he can provide here in our text, as, as uh, Brady read it, if he can provide for a bird and a flower, he can surely do it for us. Right? A kingdom seeker, simply put, ought to look different. A kingdom seeker ought to look different than other people. We should be characterized by a confidence in our Heavenly Father's ability and desire to provide for our needs. We ought to people, be people who are rock solid, and we know, look, high and low, no matter what's going on, peace or chaos, my Heavenly Father is good, He is providing, and He will give me what I need. That ought to be our characteristic. 
We as kingdom seekers, we value trust over worry. I value trusting God over worrying about all my things. And look, I, we're all prone to anxiety in one sense or another. I'm no different. The irony is that I had anxiety about preaching on anxiety. But all of us are called to set that aside and say, I know God will provide for me. And rather than thinking about all the stuff I need to make sure I get, as if I'm in control of it anyway, I should give myself to the kingdom and seek that. We gladly serve in God's kingdom with no concern that God might overlook our needs or forget to provide for us. When's the last time God forgot about you? Never. When's the last time God dropped the ball and you didn't get what you needed? Never. He doesn't do that. If we have a moment of doubt even, Jesus says, open a window. Look at the bird out there. Any bird watchers in here? I, I, I don't get it, but if you are a bird watcher, uh, it's a great, actually, you know, not only is it, you know, science related, but it's actually a great spiritual discipline. Jesus says, if you're anxious, literally, go look at a bird. Go look at a flower. If God will take care of those things, don't you think he'll take care of you? Uh, one, let me read you this quote from one author. He's describing this text. He says, if God lavishes such concern over the rest of his creation, how much more does he love us? He, he, he says, again, Jesus uses the characteristically Jewish type of reasoning from the lesser to the greater. So Jesus, this is a common argument. Start with something small, go to something big. So look at a little bird over there. Look at a flower. God takes care of those. Look at you, how much more important you are. Don't you think God will take care of you? The obvious answer is, of course. So the author says this. He says, if the logic of Jesus' argument is true, then worry can only result from a lack of genuine belief in God's goodness and mercy. Ouch, as an anxious person. If Jesus' argument is true, that if, he takes, if God takes care of plants and, and birds, then he'll take care of you. If that's true, he says, then worry can only result from a lack of genuine belief in God's goodness and mercy. Or to put it more bluntly, one other author says it this way. He says, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. Worry says, boy, I guess it's up to me now. I guess I'm in charge. I guess I've got to make sure these things happen. As if God has somehow forgotten you may have heard this poem from Elizabeth Cheney. Uh, she says it this way. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Interesting thought. What would the birds think if they saw us worrying about things? What would flowers think if they saw us panicking about where our next meal would come from or whether or not I'll have a job or things like that? Is it saying that those things are unimportant? Not at all. But Jesus says, you be about the kingdom and leave to me the things that you don't even have control over anyway. I mean, that's the hard part here. And I wonder for us as Christians, particularly older adults, parents, how often do we teach our young people, our kids, maybe our students, how often do we teach them in a Bible study lesson that you can trust God to provide, but then show them in our lives and in our anxieties and in our words and our attitudes that maybe they can't actually trust God to provide? 
How often do I say, oh, sure, right there, you know, God will provide it, Jesus will give you everything you need, but then we walk around and we live in anxiety, and what we're actually doing is we're teaching people, maybe I can't trust Him. You say I can, but you sure don't live that way, myself included. Our worry and our anxiety here is essentially doubting that God is going to provide. And Jesus says, the people who live that way aren't the people who seek the kingdom. The people who live that way are the Gentiles, the unbelievers. They're certainly not seeking God's kingdom. They're about their own. I wonder this morning for you and for myself, a question for reflection what worry or anxiety is holding us back from fully seeking the kingdom? You know, I think many times we, we talk about the things that distract us from serving God fully, we think about as tangible things. Oh, my family gets in the way, work gets in the way, whatever, hobbies, whatever it is. But how often is it maybe more it's the worry or anxiety about those other things that gets in the way? I want to be more devoted to the kingdom. I want to serve Jesus more. I want to be about him more, but I just, I'm just so worried about these things going on over here. Jesus would say, let those things go. Trust me to provide so that you can give all of your attention to the kingdom. Whether you're here this morning as a, a new follower of Jesus, or whether you've followed him for decades, Jesus calls us in Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, whether you're a young follower of Jesus, chronologically, if you're a child or a youth, or whether you're a senior adult, God calls us to seek first the kingdom. And I want to challenge you, uh, if, if you're sitting there today or you're watching online and you're thinking, I, I'm not really seeking the kingdom of God, I want to say it's not too late. Start today. Devote yourselves fully to seeking the kingdom of God. Turn, turn from just the, the, the rat race of all the physical stuff and say, I'm going to be about what matters long term. I'm going to be about what's eternal. Uh, turn from trying to hold on to your way of living, disobedience, all that stuff, and say, I'm going to live righteously as to reflect the righteous king that rules over me. And turn away from all of the anxiety and the worry and say, I'm going to give myself to the kingdom. I'm going to let go of this stuff because I've been trying to hold on to it and I'm ruining it anyway. Give that to God. Seek the kingdom and let God provide. A few questions as we leave. Do you spend your time accumulating possessions, living according to your rules, constantly worrying about how to get by, or do you store up your treasure in heaven? Do you have a large bank account at Chase, or do you have a large account in heaven? That'll get you some places, but it's in heaven that we need our treasure. Choosing to obey God's commands and value righteousness or live in sin. Live by faith or live by anxiety. Jesus is contrasting these two people. He says you can be about the kingdom and you look and act a certain way or you can be like everybody else. We want to be those people who are kingdom seekers. We want to be those people who are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The only question for us this morning is whose kingdom are you seeking? You're going to be seeking somebody's. We're either seeking God's kingdom or we're seeking our own. There's no middle ground. And so I want to just encourage you uh, to ponder these truths, examine your life, and say, I'll say, I am right in the midst of it with you. I have not perfected any of this. This text has been challenging for me as I think about, okay, over the last 24 hours, 
How, how well was I devoted to the Lord? How much did I seek His kingdom over mine? I want to encourage us daily to say, I want to seek His kingdom better today than I did yesterday. All the while, each day, thanking Him for His goodness, for His mercy, receiving His forgiveness when we fall short, and always looking to Him. And the good news is that one day, Jesus will return. His kingdom here on earth will be fully established. And we will actually, as Scripture says, reign with Him, co-heirs. That's our hope and that's what we long for. Let me pray for us as we finish our time. Our Father in heaven, we are mindful of the high standard that you have. It's, your own, it's you. You are the standard, your righteousness. And we know that we fall short. And so we cling to the righteousness of Christ that's been credited to us. And as we seek daily, Father, to seek your kingdom, to be about what is eternal, to turn from our sin, to let go of worry and seek what you have for us, we pray, God, that you would help us when we are distracted, draw us back. Uh, When we are discouraged, encourage us. Uh, When we get sidetracked, uh, gently and, and graciously guide us back to this path. And we ask, Father, that as we do so more and more, as we seek your kingdom, as we grow in being devoted to you, that you would do in us and through us what only you can do, that you would use us in your kingdom, use us to share the gospel, to proclaim and to disciple people, use us to to help those who are hurting and those who are poor, use us in your kingdom as you change us to look more and more like Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for your word. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite the band back up to lead us in a song of, of response as we just praise the Lord. So let's stand together and prepare to sing the title of the song aptly named, All I Have is Christ. What a great song to sing. Because at the end of life, when all of our possessions are left behind and we stand before God, it will be all I have is Christ. But that's all we need. So let's sing together.